A new study about invasive lionfish in the Atlantic, hypoxic dead zone news for the Gulf of Mexico, and the biggest marine conservation area in the nation is designated a UN World Heritage Site. Those stories are coming up today. It's Thursday, August 19th, and you're listening to Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. Lionfish news is first up today. The lionfish are native to the western and central Pacific Ocean, but they're now firmly established in waters from North Carolina to South America. So how did they get there? Well, the best guess is that since they're popular aquarium fish that some were probably released in Florida waters around the mid-1980s. And since then, the species has spread at an alarming rate. And this is a big problem because the fish is a hungry predator and it could devastate reef ecosystems in the Atlantic as it outcompetes native fish for food and territory. So how do we help curb the rapid growth of this invasive species? Well, a recent study suggests that about 27% of mature lionfish will have to be removed every month for one year to reduce its population growth rate to zero. Now that's a lot of lionfish. The good news? Well, it turns out that lionfish are tasty. So one way to help reduce the population is to get people to catch the fish, to get them out of the water, and onto dinner plates. In fact, NOAA scientists say that developing a market for lionfish may be one of the only ways to substantially reduce their numbers. To help out in this effort, NOAA kicked off an Eat Lionfish campaign earlier this year to help bring together fishing communities, wholesalers, and chefs to broaden U.S. consumers' awareness that lionfish are good to eat. So, is eating invasive lionfish the answer to the problem? Well, the short answer is that creating a market for lionfish is going to help, but there are no quick and easy solutions. There are some areas off the southeast U.S. coast, for example, where lionfish are found in such expansive areas that it might not be possible to catch enough of the fish to control the spread. And added to this, there's still a lot more to learn about the problem. The authors of the study warn that much more work is needed to better understand the ecological effects of lionfish in different areas, to track the population, and to develop other control strategies. But now we have a target to know how many have to be removed to keep the population rate at zero. The study was a collaborative effort between scientists from NOAA and North Carolina State University. It can be found in the June 2010 issue of Biological Invasions. And you can learn more about the invasive lionfish problem on our website. We'll have links for you in the podcast show notes at oceanservice.noaa.gov. While all eyes have recently been on the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, there's another yearly problem that impacts the Gulf that's known as the dead zone. NOAA-supported scientists have found this year's Gulf of Mexico dead zone to be the fifth largest on record at 7,722 square miles. That's an area the size of New Jersey, and it's near the upper limit of their projections. This year, tropical storm activity in the Gulf has caused the zone to be a patchwork rather than one continuous band. What's a dead zone? Well, the scientific name is hypoxia. It's an area of water that's depleted of oxygen, and that's fueled by nutrient runoff from things like farming, wastewater, and other human activities in the Mississippi River watershed. This runoff of nutrients stimulates an overgrowth of algae. As the vast amount of algae sinks and decomposes, it consumes most of the life-giving oxygen supply in the bottom layers of water along portions of the Gulf. These dead zones aren't just limited to the Gulf. They occur in coastal areas around the nation and in our Great Lakes. 
But in the Gulf of Mexico, the dead zone is of particular concern because it threatens commercial and recreational fisheries that generate about $2.8 billion annually. This year's dead zone in the Gulf is nearly double that of 2009, which was smaller than average. And the reason that was smaller than average is because a series of storms and high wind and wave conditions and shallower waters to the west of the Atchafalaya River Delta mixed oxygen into the traditional dead zone area before last year's survey crews happened. The last year's zone only measured about 3,000 square miles. The ship-based research that measured this year's dead zone was led by the director of Louisiana University's Marine Consortium. The survey of Gulf waters extended from the Mississippi River Delta west to Galveston Bay. In the western portion of the dead zone, scientists found the largest area of low oxygen off the upper Texas coast since surveys began in 1985. In the eastern portion of the dead zone, scientists on the cruise found that the hypoxic area overlaps with the region impacted by the Deepwater Horizon oil spill, but they concluded that it's unlikely that the spill played a significant role on the size of the zone. The models used to forecast the area of the dead zone allow scientists to better understand the underlying causes of this phenomenon, and the main goal of the forecast is to provide accurate data to aid in decisions about how to manage the waters in the Gulf. It's important to note that the models don't currently look at short-term variability due to weather patterns or the potential effects of the oil spill. And lastly, researchers on the cruise noted that this summer's dead zone may have been even larger, but they were unable to fully document the western extent of the zone due to time constraints. We'll have a link to a full article on the 2010 Gulf of Mexico dead zone report in our show notes. And finally today... The largest conservation area in the United States, with the longest name, is now a World Heritage Site. On July 30th, the World Heritage Committee of UNESCO, that's the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, voted to add Papahanaumokuakea Marine National Monument to its list of special significant places around the world. Now, the monument is now one of only 26 mixed natural and cultural World Heritage Sites on the globe. And it's now the first and only mixed World Heritage Site in the nation. Papahanaumokuakea Marine National Monument is bigger than all of America's national parks combined. This vast region preserves many of Hawaii's northwestern islands, and it's made up of nearly 140,000 square miles of reefs, atolls, shallow waters, and deep seas. The monument contains a wide variety of critically important habitats that harbor over 7,000 marine species, several of which are only found in this area. And it's also home to many rare and endangered species like the green sea turtle and the Hawaiian monk seal. It's a really special place. The near-pristine remote reefs, islands, and waters of the monument provide refuge and habitat for a wide variety of threatened and endangered species. It's one of the last predator-dominated coral reef ecosystems on the planet. And the region provides critical nesting and foraging grounds for 14 million seabirds. That makes it the largest tropical seabird rookery in the entire world. World Heritage designation doesn't change the monument's cooperative federal-state management mission, plan, or structure, and it doesn't impose change or add regulations or restrictions. According to monument staff, the management philosophy and regulations have always been designed to bring the place to the people through education, virtual exposure, and extremely limited visitation. While World Heritage designation has meant increased tourism at other World Heritage sites, for Papahanaumokuakea, the situation is different. All human access and activity will remain by permit only, with visitation by the public restricted to Midway Atoll under strict carrying capacity guidelines. You can learn more about the monument at hawaiireef.noaa.gov. 
And let's say it one more time because we like to say it. The Papahana Umakuakea Marine National Monument is one of 14 marine protected areas that form NOAA's National Marine Sanctuary System. The goal of the system is to conserve, protect, and enhance the biodiversity, ecological integrity, and cultural legacy of marine areas in the U.S., totaling 150,000 square miles. And that's all for this week. If you have any questions about this week's podcast, about the National Ocean Service, about our ocean, or about the Papahana Umakuakea Marine National Monument, send us a note. We're at nos.info at noaa.gov. And visit us online at oceanservice.noaa.gov. We look forward to hearing from you. Now let's listen to some ocean sounds. You've been listening to Making Ways from NOAA's National Ocean Service. We'll return in two weeks.